We read this morning from two passages of Holy Scripture. First of all, from Genesis chapter 12. We read the first nine verses. We have in this account the Lord's call to Abram. And secondly, we'll read from the epistle to the Hebrews, the beloved 11th chapter. We'll read the first 19 verses. Our text this New Year's morning is found in verses 9 and 10 in Hebrews 11, focusing upon Abraham's sojourn by faith. We hear the word of God in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram, passing through the land unto the place of Sychem, unto the plain of Mori. And the Canaanites, the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. And we turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he, being dead, yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found, because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered, de delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. 
Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Thus far we read from God's infallibly inspired word. As I said, our text this New Year's morning is found in Hebrews 11, verses 9 and 10. 9 and 10, where we read regarding Abraham, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we begin another year of history, it is well that we be reminded that as God's children, we are to be manifest as sojourners in the land, even as the patriarchs of old, so easily we become preoccupied with the here and the now, earthly cares and concerns. As we go forward in this new year, the year of our Lord 2024, may we look for that city which hath foundations, even as Abraham of old. He stands as a prominent figure here in the list of the so-called heroes of faith in Hebrews 11. Abraham could be considered from different viewpoints. He was called the friend of God. God established his covenant with Abraham and his seed here in Hebrews chapter 11, the emphasis falls upon the faith of Abraham. Here we see that Abraham's faith was the subjective ground of things hoped for. Here it's plain that Abraham's faith was the evidence of things not seen. Verse 8 of this chapter tells us that this faith of Abraham was manifest in his obedience to the call of God. The call of God came first to Abraham at Ur of the Chaldees and then later at Haran. That call to him came very definitely as a calling from God. Abraham did not leave his home because of any personal convictions or inner feelings that he may have had. This call of God was the direct word of God to him. Abraham received a direct revelation from God in whatever form that may have been. The contents of that call are revealed to us in the passage we first read in Genesis chapter 12. That call consisted of a twofold command negatively, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. And positively, 
get thee unto a land that I will show thee. That call of God to Abraham included a promise. As we see in verses 2 and 3, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So it is that included in that promise was God's word to Abraham upon his arrival in Canaan. Unto thy seed will I give this land. And by this call, God preached the gospel unto Abraham. Galatians 3 states that in verses 8 and 9, and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Abraham obeyed this call. He went out. He did not question God's call to him. He did not attempt to avoid that call. He did not contrive excuses not to go and obey God's call to him. Abraham simply went. He took Sarai and Lot and all the souls that they had gotten in Haran and all their substance, and he went out went out not knowing whither he went. Think of that. Abraham did not even know where he was going. God had not told Abraham the name of the country which would one day be his inheritance. God had not provided Abraham with a detailed map. God had actually told him very little about his destination. By faith, Abraham simply followed step by step the direction of the Lord. But Abraham's faith and obedience must not be understood as a single act that was fulfilled when he reached Canaan. Upon arriving in the land of Canaan, Abraham was called to persevere in his faith. Scripture tells us that when Abraham arrived in the land of promise, he was called to sojourn there. Our text tells us, by faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. Beloved, Abraham's faith manifested in his life of sojourning is meant to strengthen our faith also now, as we go forward in this new year, Abraham's faith manifested in his life of sojourning is meant to encourage us in our pilgrimage here below. It's in this light that we consider our text this morning under the theme, Abraham's sojourn by faith. And we notice, first of all, the meaning, secondly, the motivation, and finally, the significance. So what did Abraham find when he came to the land which God showed him? He did not find a country all prepared for himself and his family. He did not find a country which he could immediately take as his possession he did not find a country filled with people with whom he could have a genuinely spiritual relationship. Oh no, quite the contrary. Abraham found a land of which he could not take definite possession. He found a country which, which was inhabited by the heathen Canaanites. We read of that in Genesis 12. 
and the Canaanite was then in the land. He found a land filled with those with whom he could have no spiritual kinship. Abraham had only the promise of God. God had promised to make of him a great nation, but as yet he had no child. As yet his wife was barren. The Lord had promised to make Abraham's name great, but Abraham was a stranger in a land inhabited by heathen tribes. He had no fame or honor among the Canaanites. Jehovah had promised to give the land unto Abraham and his seed, but Abraham did not own any of the land. As the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 5 tells us, and he, that is God, gave him none inheritance in it, no, not so much as to set his foot on. Yet he promised that he would give it to him for a possession and to his seed after him when as yet he had no child. So what was Abraham now to do? Was Abraham to return unto the land from which he had come? Verse 15 in Hebrews chapter 11 suggests that that might have been possible. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But Abraham, in the providence of God, did not and could not go back. Was Abraham to take possession of the land by force? After all, God had promised that the land was to be his. But Abraham was not to raise up an arm of flesh against the inhabitants of the land. Was Abraham then to become a citizen of the land, a permanent inhabitant? Perhaps he could have moved in with some of the wicked descendants of Ham. Or maybe Abraham could have built his own fine city there in the land of Canaan. But Abraham, believing the promise of God, could not do that. Abraham was called to exercise his God-given faith. He simply had to believe the promise of God. He had to wait for God himself to fulfill and realize his promise. He knew by faith that at the proper time, in the proper manner, God would fulfill his word. Abraham was, therefore, required to sojourn in the land of promise. And literally, this word sojourn means to dwell beside, to live in one's neighborhood. It means to dwell in a place as a stranger, to dwell as a visitor in a place which is not one's home. This Abraham did by faith. He dwelled as a stranger in the land of promise. He did not mingle with the Canaanites. He did not conform to their idolatrous ways. He remained separate from the wicked inhabitants of the land. He was an outsider, a foreigner in the land which would one day be his. The text emphasizes that he sojourned there as in a strange country. Literally, we read, as in a land belonging to another. Abraham lived in the land conscious of the fact that not one square foot of the land belonged to him. Abraham never made himself at home there. Now our text emphasizes that Abraham's sojourn was manifest by his dwelling in tabernacles. And the word tabernacles refers here simply to tents. As you know, a tent is always a rather temporary dwelling place. 
A tent may be easily taken down, carried away. A tent is always a very weak and frail abode. It offers little or no defense against attack. A tent has no real permanence and stability. It is without a strong foundation. A tent is a movable abode. A tent is pitched today in one place and tomorrow can be set up in another. A tent is the proper dwelling place for a nomad, a wanderer in a land not his own. So a tent is the symbol of what is temporary. Abraham's tent life pointed to the fact that he sojourned in the land. By his dwelling in tents, Abraham manifested himself as a sojourner, a stranger in the land of promise. That Abraham sojourned dwelling in tabernacles meant that Abraham stood in stark contrast to the inhabitants of the land. He was a stranger there, a foreigner, and it was obvious to all. Abraham took no part in the political or social affairs there, had very little social interaction with the Canaanites. Abraham built different altars and worshipped a different god. Abraham wore different clothing, spoke a different language, sang different songs. Abraham had different attitudes and goals. As a tent dweller, Abraham was a person upon whom everyone looked as a stranger. Abraham did not buy a large tract of land. Abraham did not build a fine house or palace. Abraham did not move into a city. He did not become a citizen of the land. In all his life, Abraham conducted himself as a foreigner, a stranger in a land not his own. The scriptural account of Abraham's life testifies to the truth of all of this. Consider Abraham's attitude at the time of the separation of his nephew Lot from him. After their herdsmen had been quarreling regarding the pasture, then it was abundantly clear that Abraham was willing to remain a pilgrim and a stranger in the land. After all, Abraham had a right to the land. He had the promise of God, but his attitude was one of self-denial. And the whole incident leaves Abraham a lonely sojourner in the land. Significant that at the time when Abraham fought and gained the victory over Ketoleomer and his allies, he was known by the Canaanites as the Hebrew. Abraham the Hebrew. That name Hebrew means from the other side, referring either to the other side of the Jordan or perhaps the Euphrates River. This name given Abraham by the inhabitants of the land pointed to the fact that he was known as a stranger. When the Lord appeared unto Abraham at Mamre, we read that Abraham sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. That's Genesis 18. Abraham appears here, too, as a sojourner, the very fact that Abraham sat in the door of his tent constituted a confession that he was a stranger in a strange land. Notice, too, Abraham's words to the sons of Heth at the time of his purchase of a burial place for Sarah, his wife. Abraham said, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The entire incident points to the fact that even in death, Abraham was a stranger in the land. 
And finally, that Abraham was a sojourner in the land is evident from the very fact that Abraham sent his servant to Abraham's own kindred back in Haran to obtain a wife for his son Isaac. Further, our text points out that Isaac and Jacob also sojourned dwelling in tents. We read, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. The text emphasizes that Isaac and Jacob possessed the same promise of God. That's clear from the fact that God, in speaking of the promise to Abraham, includes Abraham's seed. After Abraham had arrived in Canaan, the Lord appeared unto him and said, Genesis 12, verse 4, Unto thy seed will I give this land. After Lot had chosen to go toward Sodom, the Lord spoke unto Abraham, For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. At the time of the establishment of the covenant with Abraham, as we read of it in Genesis chapter 17, God said unto Abraham, And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger. Notice the Lord calls him a stranger. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. That Isaac and Jacob possess that same promise of God is also clear from the fact that that promise was repeated to them. In Genesis 26, verse 3, 3 we read that when Isaac was in Gerar because of the famine, the Lord appeared unto him and said, Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. When Jacob was at Bethel, having fled the wrath of his brother Esau, in his dream he heard the Lord say, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac, the land wherein thou liest to thee will I give it and to thy seed. Because Isaac and Jacob possessed that same promise, we read that they were heirs with him. Literally, the co-heirs of the same promise. Therefore, they too believed in the promise of God. They too sojourned in the land of promise. They dwelled in tents as strangers and pilgrims in the land. Jacob, in his old age, confessed that fact when before Pharaoh he said, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are in hundred and thirty years. All this emphasizes the fact that these patriarchs had to live their whole lives by faith as sojourners in the land of promise. Abraham did not merely have to sojourn in the land for, say, a couple of years. He was already an aged man, a hundred years old, before he even received the promised son. The only parcel of land Abraham ever possessed was the cave of Machpelah, which he bought for a cemetery. Abraham sojourned his whole life without receiving that land of Canaan. And the same is true of Isaac and Jacob. They lived that same sojourner's life, dwelling in tents. Never did they receive that land of Canaan as their inheritance. Hence we see that by faith, Abraham sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise.
Understand, beloved, Abraham's sojourn was possible only by faith. Faith, which is the gift of God. Without faith, Abraham would not and could not sojourn in the land of promise. By nature, Abraham might have been inclined to return, perhaps way back to Ur. By nature, Abraham might have attempted to conquer the land and set himself up as Lord in Canaan. By nature, Abraham would have built a city there and amalgamated himself with the Canaanites. Humanly speaking, that life of sojourning was impossible. But Abraham did all this by faith. He believed the promises of God. Believing he was content to sojourn in the land. But we might be inclined to ask then, did not Abraham die sorely disappointed without any hope of the realization of the promise? God had told him that he would receive the land, but he never did. All his life he merely sojourned in the land of promise as a stranger there. Abraham saw hardly a glimmering of fulfillment. Was not his faith in vain? Oh no. For Abraham's faith looked for the heavenly. Our text tells us for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham knew that God's promise did not refer ultimately to that earthly land of Canaan. By faith, Abraham knew that when God said, I will give you this land and to thy seed forever, God was not merely promising an earthly land. By faith, Abraham knew that that promise did not simply refer to the land in which he sojourned. Abraham knew that the earthly land of Canaan was but a picture, a type of the heavenly land of Canaan. Abraham realized that the promise of God went far beyond that earthly land. In that earthly Canaan, Abraham saw only a shadow of the much more glorious heavenly inheritance. And because of that, he could sojourn in the land of his inheritance. Because of that, he could persevere in his faith. So Abraham's faith was truly the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For he looked for that heavenly city. Literally, the idea is that he awaited it. He expected it. Abraham knew that the object of his expectation would truly be his. But Abraham could not see with these earthly eyes, the heavenly city, it was unseen. Only insofar as the earthly Canaan pointed to it, could he visualize the heavenly. Abraham could not see heaven from this side of the grave. Yet, Abraham hoped for it. And here the element of expectation is on the foreground. He looked for that city. He expected it. He looked toward the future, anticipating it. Abraham was confident that his expectation would be realized. His looking for this city was not characterized by any doubt. Rather, he was certain that that city would be his. Abraham also longed for that city. He had not a mere wish in the back of his mind for it, but throughout his life of sojourning, he ardently desired that 
city. He had an intense longing for it. So let's notice the sharp contrast here before us. On the one hand, Abraham sojourned in the land of promise, dwelling in tents. That tent life was characterized by loneliness. Abraham pitched his tents only temporarily, ready to leave, move to another location. Always he was a stranger, a foreigner in the land. Never did he possess the land or have a permanent abode there. But on the other hand, Abraham looked for a city which hath foundation. There he would not be a stranger, but a citizen. There he would make himself at home. That city was something permanent and abiding dwelling place. While his tent had no foundations whatsoever, this city had firm and enduring foundations. What was this city? Some would try to maintain that this city which Abraham expected was just the earthly city of Jerusalem. They say that Abraham couldn't really know anything of, of the heavenly. They say that Abraham was merely looking forward to the time when he would no longer have to live in tents, but he could live in the earthly city of Jerusalem. But this certainly cannot be the case. For then, of course, Abraham's faith really was vain, for he never personally lived in Jerusalem. In addition, the whole epistle to the Hebrews exactly repudiates the idea of an earthly Jerusalem and an earthly temple pointing us to the better things that are spiritual and heavenly. Further, Abraham and all God's people of the old dispensation surely lived and died in the hope of everlasting life and salvation in heaven. And finally, according to the last part of our text, God is the builder and maker of this city. And that certainly was not literally the case with the earthly Jerusalem. This city for which Abraham looked was a city with foundations. That implies that this city was not something temporary or frail. It is the incorruptible inheritance of which the Apostle Peter speaks in 1 Peter chapter 1. That implies that this city is permanent. It knows no fluctuations, no change. It implies that this city never fears an assault. It can never crumble and fall as do the cities of man. This was the city whose builder and maker was God. Literally, we read, whose artificer and builder is God. God is its artificer, that is, he designed it. He was its sovereign architect. God was also its builder, the artisan, the one who actually framed the city. This is, of course, the deepest reason for its abiding character. This city, therefore, is the new Jerusalem. It is the heavenly city. That's the city whose builder and maker is God. And the city of the new Jerusalem is, of course, the church. The church is called the new or heavenly Jerusalem in Scripture. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 4, verse 26, we read, Jerusalem which is above is free which is the mother of us all. In Hebrews 12, verses 22 and 23, Scripture tells us, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, notice, and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven. This is also plain from a beautiful description of the new Jerusalem given in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, set forth in the vision given the Apostle John. There you recall John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, prepared as a bride. And the point is that the city is not a number of houses and buildings, but it is the living citizens, the people who constitute the city. The church depicted as a city emphasizes the idea of communion, fellowship, covenant fellowship, something quite different from Abraham's lonely life of sojourning. The picture of this city presented in symbolic language in Revelation 21 gives us only a glimmer of the true glory and splendor of it. That this city has foundations means, therefore, that it is a city founded in God's eternal decree. God's decree is the foundation of this city. Sovereign election makes this a firm and abiding city. God, as the artificer, designs it in his eternal decree. God, as the builder, builds that city through his only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, after all, is the heart of the promise, the chief cornerstone in that city, the work of regeneration in our hearts by the Spirit of Christ makes us citizens of that city, makes us as living stones from which that city is built. This, beloved, was the motivation for Abraham's sojourn by faith. Abraham looked for the everlasting glory of the church in the new heavens and the new earth. And with that faith, Abraham was content, perfectly content, to sojourn all his life in the promised land. What then is the significance of Abraham's sojourn by faith? Beloved, this is our calling and the calling of all God's people. Perhaps we're inclined to ask why. Why did God require Abraham to sojourn his entire life? Why did, God, why did not God immediately give him the land? Why did not God immediately fulfill his promise to Abraham? And why does God require us to sojourn here below? Could he not immediately give us our inheritance? Could he not immediately bring us to our heavenly home? And the answer is that God wanted Abraham and wants us to live by faith. God has determined every step of the way for us too, to our inheritance. From the Old Testament perspective, Christ, the promised seed, had to come. And now, we wait for His return upon the clouds of heaven. God will not bring about the final fulfillment of His promise until all the elect are saved. So what does it mean for us that we are called to sojourn? That we are called to sojourn here below does not mean that we are to become what we might term isolationists. We are not to separate ourselves physically from the inhabitants of this earth on some faraway island or 
perhaps in some desolate corner of the Upper Peninsula. Abraham didn't do that. That we are called to sojourn here below does not mean that we may not make use of the things of this earth. We are not to separate ourselves from the things of the world as such. For example, the modern conveniences, as is the case with the Amish. Abraham did not do that. For us, to sojourn means that we dwell beside, that we dwell in this earth as strangers, that we live as foreigners in this earth. We live here not as citizens spiritually of this world, but as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We live in the midst of the world just as Abraham lived in the midst of the land of Canaan, but by God's grace, we are not of the world. It's the truth of the antithesis. We are to live antithetically here below. Again, it doesn't mean that we turn our backs on the things of this world. Things in themselves are good creatures of God, but we are to strive to use all things in His service to His glory. We strive to walk in holiness, seeking that which is good, hating and fleeing from that which is evil. More specifically, that we sojourn here below as strangers in the land means that we too are different just as Abraham was different. We are not conformed to this world, but transformed from it so that, so that we speak a different language, spiritually speaking. We sing different songs, the songs of Zion. We worship a different God, the God of Scripture, not the idols of pleasure, of sex, of sports, of fame, of wealth. We have different attitudes and goals than does the world of unbelief. And that must be seen by all. Can your neighbors, your co-workers see the difference? In our days, camping, tenting, extremely popular. The campgrounds in the summer season filled with the tents and trailers of campers. But are we spiritual tent dwellers? The world must see that we are spiritual tent dwellers that we are not citizens here, that this is not really our home. Is that true of us? Does the world call us Abraham the Hebrew, the man from the other side? Do people take note of us as was done with respect to Peter and John and perceive that we have been with Jesus? Do we live in tents spiritually or in houses with foundations? Beloved, only by faith can we sojourn here below as spiritual pilgrims and strangers. By nature, we'd want nothing of that. We're inclined by nature to conform with the world. And we would speak their profane language. And we would sing their vile songs. And we would join with them in their entertainments and pleasures. We would worship their gods and have their goals. Pleasure, wealth, mammon. By nature, we'd be citizens here below. Setting our hopes and dreams on the here and the now. 
build our houses and cities, striving to make a name and a place for ourselves here. We would mix and mingle with the world of unbelief. But by faith, we too take hold of the promise of God. That promise which is essentially Christ becomes the important thing. Yea, with Paul we count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. By God's grace through faith we receive all the blessings of salvation. By His Spirit we are made sojourners here below, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. By God's grace we too look for that city which hath foundations. And we expect that city. We know that it is ours as His children. We are certain that we shall receive it. We live in anticipation of that day. So let us walk as pilgrims in the earth in contentment day by day throughout the year of our Lord 2024. In true faith, may we strive to be manifest as strangers in this world, counting our days, setting our hearts upon the ways of wisdom. In true faith, let us look for that city which hath foundations. May our confession be that of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. In that faith, we surely receive that glorious inheritance. Amen. Most merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word. Inscribe it upon our hearts, we pray. May it be our guide in all our pilgrim way in the year which lies before us. Forgive us, we pray, our worldly mindedness. May we live with uplifted heads, seeking that city which is heavenly, May thy name receive the glory for Jesus' sake. Amen.